0: Go get ready to set the target frequency to manual the second we're aligned. Would you copy? I want you to go off-axis on 27
1: the second we're there. And leave the LO frequency where it is. Stay on
0: it, fish. Don't let it get away. If you lose it, just scan the band. Run every frequency you can think of.
1: Talk to me, guys. Partially polarized set of moving
2: pulses.
0: Amplitude modulated. We're locked, systems check out, signal across the board. What's the frequency? 4.4623 gigahertz. Hydrogen times pi. Told you.
2: Strong sucker,
3: too. I got it! I got it! I got it! I'm patched in! All
0: right, let me hear it.
2: Hello, friends. We're back. It's Hit Factory. My name is Aaron.
1: My name is Carly.
2: And we have a wonderful guest for you today, returning champion to the show, fellow podcaster and Twitter public enemy number one, Aaron Thorpe is on the show. Aaron, how's it going?
3: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me back on. Um, Yeah, I'm on like my fifth account now, probably. You might be on your
2: 6 by the time this one yeah. drops, I feel like.
3: Yeah, they're they're the the Jakes are on my back, so I got to I got to lay low, you know. <laughs> yeah, they
1: are. yeah, and everyone's talking today about or today and yesterday about how uh Elon Musk is going to be the champion of free speech for yeah. Twitter and I'm like none of you have any idea what you're talking about. And also like Elon, I am already like calling is just going to constantly be doing polls to be like do you want uh, an edit feature and he's going to get to posture like he's democratizing the platform and it's all going to be like a pantomime and he's like, he doesn't actually have to do anything. And people are going to be like, Oh, he's, he's Vox Populi. Like he's, (laughs) he's doing the work, man. And he's literally just like uh, posting polls. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he's going to do. I don't want
2: (laughs) to, I don't want to belabor this too much, but like, this is, I mean, we can talk about it a little bit more. Jack was also doing bullshit like this, this last week where he was like, uh, I, I know that I have a part in it, but like the internet was a better place before it was so centralized. And I'm like, motherfucker, like you, like Shut up. you did this. You and then like, this. I don't know, if, I don't know if you saw it, Aaron, you know, during your, you know, your, your kind of band cycle here, but they were doing a thing where uh, people pointed out that Nancy Pelosi made some bullshit statement and people were quote tweeting it with like fact checks and like criticizing it rightfully so because what she was saying of course was just like you know coming out of like the wrong end people started to notice like i think she blocked you for this because i can't see the initial tweet anymore that you quote oh, tweeted like auto and then, like an auto block feature <laughs> where like people like real like they got notifications that said you've been auto blocked uh because we've detected that this is like you know, like not the way that Twitter users talk or like this is like a potential like harassment, like oh
3: my fucking activity. God. I
1: hate that. And, that is and
2: they were doing it for corporations and for politicians. Like it's one thing for like non-verified accounts, but they were doing it for like ABC News and for like Pelosi.
3: You know, it's 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 so incredibly grim. And I think that's why like like what we're gonna talk about today is such a like a it's such a dichotomy, you know. And I was telling you guys earlier, like I've been watching Star Trek, you know. And, um, um, you know, like what we're going to talk about today, like things that kind of have this like positive, sort of positive or hopeful spin, you know, the possibility of a future instead of it being this kind of end of history where we're sort of like creeping through this like long malaise, you know, so uh,
1: I, you know yeah. me, I I love me some Star Trek and Next Generation is it's so good. It's so, so good. And for no what reason. I love about, for if no it's reason, so good for, for no reason. <laughs> There's reasons, but it's yeah, it's, it's easy it. about it, right? Yes. Like it's not it's not fussy. It's not mm. like we're trying really hard to do a thing for you. It's like moisturized and unbothered. Like it is just yeah. it is just like doing exactly it's like a what it wants. Yeah. It is. And it's like, hey, if you're Yo. here for it. We're here for it. You, you know? know?
3: What? That's a really good point. You know why? You know why I think part of the reason why I love that shit so much, Next Generation, especially, is it like it's like it feels like like wrapping up into like a nice warm blanket in front of like a fireplace. Like I guess it's a part of the nostalgia and just like all of it, where I just feel very comfortable and it's like a narcotic almost, you know? Where if yes. I'm like hella depressed, or as I'm saying, like the bleakness of the world, I'm just like, yo, I'm gonna binge like five seasons or seven the whole entire seven seasons of the next generation.
2: And maybe it was that impulse that led you to suggest today's movie. I don't <laughs> yes. know. I, you know I, I know that you uh, you know you were a big fan of this one. I like to, to let our, our listeners in uh, you know and, and see behind the curtain a little bit. Every so often when we talk about how we select our movies, it's usually you know asking the guests like do you have any you want to see or do you want that you want to talk about? And oftentimes, you know, there's like a, a list, or like, oh, have you guys done like, you know, one, two, three, or you know, here's here's ten that I would be willing to talk about. And when I reached out to you this time, Erin, to, to say like, what what do you want to talk about? You were like, let's do Contact, yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, which is which is the subject of today's uh, podcast. It is uh, the 1997 film Contact, directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Jodie Foster, Matthew McConaughey, and others. Um, and and when you brought this one to us, mm. uh, we both collectively on this side of the, the microphones thought that was a fantastic idea. And you also just said like, it's one of my favorite movies. I've seen it like 20 times. I want to know a little bit more about that. And like why contact is so important to you.
3: Um, Yeah. That's a really good question actually. Cause like, I like, I think people think of me as like a doomer and I've always like been like obsessed with apocalyptic dystopian movies, you know? So this Mm -hmm. is like, kind of like, it's a bit more, as I was saying, hopeful and optimistic, but um, I do love, I've always, like, loved space, you know? I think that if I was better at math, you know, I would be, like, working at, like, the JPL for NASA and shit, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I've always, like, I've always, like, kind of, like, um, I don't know, I mean, like kind of looked up, like, in New York, I can't say look up at the night sky and the stars, because in New York there are no fucking stars, right? Unless you live, like, upstate, but I would wonder, and I would think about, you know, if there's life out there, you know, and I, I don't want to, like, self like psychologize myself and maybe that has to do with something about me as a person you know feelings of loneliness a lot of the themes in this movie actually but um i i just remember like uh uh i don't know how i found this movie but i watched it on like like one of those on demand like i forgot what channel it was maybe showtime or something um mm-hmm. or maybe it was hbo and i watched it on demand and um like i loved it man like i I got really obsessed after that with like SETI and about like trying to learn about like the galaxy and the solar system. And I mean, like, again, I'm not like a science person, you know, I'm not like into the hard sciences. So this for me was something that was more like escapism, you know, and um, kind of like also partially my obsession with science fiction, but also like, again, the deeper questions about like, who are we, you know, why are we here? Are we alone? And um, I think, Over time, it's like aged really well. And without saying too much, as we were talking about before, uh, given personal uh, experiences in my life, tragic experiences in my life, uh, namely the loss of my father, this movie now has taken on a personal meaning um, that kind of makes it like, yeah, man, I guess this is just like a perfect film, you know, this is like a perfect, timeless, entertaining movie that's two and a half hours long but does not feel like it so uh that being said i I, this is like besides jurassic park and children of men this is like those are my like this this is probably like three you know i don't have a top whatever but this is like definitely in the top three you know um so yeah that was a long way to answer like saying i like space And I miss my dad and I fucking love this movie, you know, (laughs) I love that answer.
2: I'll say, you know, like I, I tried to put this one on as a kid one time and I was definitely more in like the sci-fi, like fantasy Mm. realm of things, you know, like I wanted to see like a a Jurassic Park or I wanted to see like an Independence Day or whatever. And I tried to watch this one and I I just like was bored to tears by it. I'm like, I don't get it. I'm not going to follow it. And then, of course, like, you know, when I was like, uh a young adult in like my like early 20s and in college i had my like atheist phase where like i got super into carl sagan Mm. and like a bunch of other like astronomers and started like kind of like thinking about the universe and so went back to it
1: your fall from grace my
2: fall from grace exactly (laughs) my my my, having my in my satan era yeah (laughs) (laughs) your blasphemous area Uh, exactly And, you know, I watched it, and I remember thinking at the time, like, this is too earnest. Like, I was actually, like, kind of, like, irked by some of, like, the spiritual kind of, like, content mm-hmm. of it, I think, because I was, like, going so far in the other direction. I grew up super religious, by the way. Mm-hmm. So this was, like, a big transitionary sort of period for me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, like, too earnest. You know, like, I was, like, eh, I don't know if I
3: like this idea. And it, Did it, you also it, think it, it was, not... too, like, ham-fisted in a way? Like, it was a little bit too heavy-handed as well?
2: it's not a subtle movie at all yeah, like this I, is true, still, is true, I still i still i still think that about it but i will say that like in the intervening years you know over the last like decade plus i have definitely come to i don't know like a like a dialectical kind of like you know understanding of my lack of belief and and like my lack of faith in any sort of like man made god christianity whatever and this time watching it i was like this movie's fucking perfect like it is it's beautiful like it's just like it hooks me from minute 1 um and i know carly feels the same way that this is one of carly's favorite movies too i feel like
1: i mean aaron and i are in the same boat here like mm. i loved this movie when i saw it and um aaron Trillbilly aaron mm. I, and i when i first saw it as a kid like i was so taken up by the feeling of wonder that the movie itself has yes. right it has yes. this like sense of awe and reverence and um, it's very patient, not even just like in its pacing, but also just in sort of like the way it handles its characters, particularly Ellie um, and also in its, you know, observance of space. And I was so like moved by that feeling and couldn't probably articulate it or like say what it was that moved me but I was moved by it. And as I've gotten older and my sense of wonder has died with my (laughs) aging. Yes. And as 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 the world also
3: gets worse as well and things get And as the world
1: gets worse, um, it's as, as you both are saying, it's taken on like more layers of meaning and also has just become more treasured because it has that sense of wonder that I still, as you do, Aaron, like, associate with a certain time and a certain place when I was a certain person and um, my life looked a certain way and possibility felt different than it did now. And that's a lot to put on a movie. That's like a fucking space blockbuster, but this movie (laughs) is so much more than a space space blockbuster to your point.
3: It absolutely is. And you know that I I like the, the, uh, the dialectical nature that you were talking about Aaron in the sense that like, I think Zemeckis has said that this movie isn't a debate, uh, a debate between religion versus science, right? Or, you know, religion versus evolution or creative uh, creationism versus evolution. It's like they can both coexist, you know? Yes. They can both right. coexist. And, I, you know, I think also, too, is like, you know, Carly, as you were saying, like the timelessness of this movie and the way it's endured. I think that as things have gotten in my life, you know, again, you know, tragedy, but also like the state of the world. I think that the earnestness, the earnest like nature of the film, the sincerity is that much more important. You know, thinking about my life and like the world in a way that is very rooted in a kind of spiritual oneness. I don't know how else to put it because me Mm -hmm. myself, I'm like Ellie, right? I really identify with her, especially Aaron, as you were saying, too. I think when I saw it, I wasn't like I wasn't like a. you know, I was, I don't think I was like a, a stringent um, atheist, right? I think was agnostic, but I was a bit snobbish, right? About like, you know, my atheism, right? About my mm-hmm. brand of it. I would kind of be like, as, um, as uh, Palmer says, Matthew McConaughey's character, where he says to Ellie, You think that 95% of the people who believe in some kind of spiritual being, you think they suffer from mass delusion. I was that guy, I'm not gonna lie, you know. I just pat people <laughs> on the head and be like, not an asshole, you know, but just pat people on the head and be like, okay, you don't know any better. But now, you know, especially given things that have happened in my life and just the the sort of the way that I realize, I'll put it this way: my mom, when my dad died, my mom became a Seventh-day Adventist. And the way that her faith kind of, like, allowed, like, centered her, you know, and allowed her to grieve and mourn, um, it's given me a lot of more appreciation, right, for people's belief systems or religions, whatever, however people decide to deal with the unbearable, the unbearable, like, unbearable quality of just kind of being alone in this, like, chaotic-ass world, you know. This film, the way it handles that, I think it does it with grace. And... I think, like, yeah, watching it, you know, like, if you're if you're kind of watching it from the kind of point of view, if you're younger, like, Aaron, you and I, when we were a bit younger and we were a bit more cynical, it's a bit too saccharine. But as I age, I'm kind of like, yeah, I I need this. I need this. is like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. soup for the soul, man. Chicken soup for the soul, indeed. You know? Yes. Yeah. I know that was totally. long rambling, but it's I, like, really, really love this film and, like, what it's kind of uh, done for me, like, um, you know, when I was younger and especially now, you know.
1: I want you nonstop rambling on this. (laughs) No, 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 I can't, I can't because we have so much to talk about. We have so um, much to talk about. I, I, I love that you're bringing up the, the sort of push pull of the spirituality in this film. Mm. I think this is perfectly embodied in Ellie herself. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is there's, This kind of climactic exchange between her and Palmer, um, Matthew McConaughey's character, who is the, you know, is he Christian? What is he? I don't know.
2: He's like a a spiritual leader. A a spiritual leader. He he like definitely believes in God, but he like isn't, he's juxtaposed against like Rob Lowe's character, who's like a super like religious, like right wing, like evangelical, right? He's, he's like a. He's like a Marianne Williamson or something. Yeah, okay. actually
3: really <laughs> good analogy, actually. Yo. He is a Marion yeah. Williamson. He's no. like a
2: spiritual leader, you know? <laughs>
1: he loves birds. Yeah. Um. So Palmer and Ellie, uh, Jodie Foster's character, have this exchange. And it's the one that you're talking about when he mm. says, oh, you think like 95% of people um, are under this mass delusion. And he... I think it's like maybe when they're at the party, she quotes uh, a line from his book and mm. says, you know, science has given uh, everyone, everything they're looking for, except the one thing they're actually looking for, which is meaning. Mm. I butchered the quote, but it's something like that. Yeah,
3: no, that's exactly, yeah, that's it, yeah.
1: I had this thought on this watch, and I've seen this movie a bunch of times too, and I've never recognized this, but I had this thought where I was like, it's funny that they're kind of having this back and forth where Palmer sees Ellie as this person who is like only wanting proof and isn't ever like operating on faith. And I think Mm -hmm. Ellie sees herself that way too. But what I saw so clearly for the first time watching this film, this last time is that Ellie herself has been operating on faith her entire life. Her sense of wonder, her, her desire to explore, because of the possibility of life that isn't human, that is completely built on faith. That is completely built on a search for meaning. And she says as much, she says to Palmer at one point, I have been looking for the answer to the question, why are we here my whole life? And if I can just get a piece of that answer by going on this mission, it will have been worth it. And I was like, y'all are the same. You are the the same.
2: And I think so much of that, you know, that kind of like hopefulness, that optimism and that sort of relationship between science and faith and the, and mm-hmm. the compatibility of them comes, of course, from Carl Sagan. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, for, for those who are listening who don't know, Contact begins uh, really in the late 70s, early 80s as an idea for a movie from Carl Sagan and his wife, Ann Druyan is her name. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a friend who works uh, under a An executive at Warner Brothers, they pitch her the idea. She loves it. She pitches it to her boss, also loves the idea, has a bunch of terrible ideas for the movie beyond like <laughs> the hundred page treatment that they write for it. Like at one point, I think this producer uh, wanted to include a uh, in a strange teenage son that Ellie had. <gasps> oh, so like the God. whole idea uh, was that like she wanted to like make contact, but she like couldn't even communicate with like with the person son. who's supposed to be closest oh to my her God. No. yeah no. um anyway all the ideas were shot down like they were i think you know from whoever it came from i think sagan and julian like knew well enough that like this is not the kind of character we want mm. ellie to be you know we want her to be a woman of science we want her to like stand alone as like somebody who's like a seeker and like someone who's striving for knowledge and not be like a bad mom you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> right um and so like the thing goes through a little bit of production hell it gets stalled to the point where by 1985 there's really no hope of making the the movie anymore so Sagan publishes it as a novel Mm. um it's so successful that then it gets kind of picked back up their friend who initially pitched the idea is now an executive at Warner Brothers fast tracks the movie through production um initially gonna be uh Roland Joffe, who directed the Killing Fields. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, gets on board. Quits. Then they hire George Miller, director of all of the Mad Max films, and of course his opus, uh, Babe Two Pig in the City. <laughs> right.
3: Oh man. Yeah. Th- so that would while, have been a
2: very interesting movie. A very different movie, right? <laughs> so George Miller comes on board, uh, and he gets fired. He he is a magnificent director. One thing he is not is a very fast worker. We know this Um, Miller gets fired. Zemeckis comes on. I think he had been offered the movie once before turned it down came back or was asked to come back and was like, this is fine. I just want final cut and I want final say on everything because mm-hmm. I liked what I like the idea, but I don't like your ending. And they're like, yeah. fine, whatever. We've already spent a bunch of money on this
3: movie. Just make the fucking thing. Huh. And we get
2: the movie that we have today.
3: I wonder um, what the I wonder what the original initial ending was that he had a problem with. I'm curious.
1: Yeah.
2: One of the elements that he mentions in an interview is that there's like some sort of like spectacle light show in the sky that like the extraterrestrials give humanity to like signal that they exist Hello, and here. that they're there. Um And I think that he was like, this doesn't really work for me. I don't, I don't like this. Also doesn't make any um, sense really. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Also no, I- it, it kind of no. like, I kind of think too, like um I think that because I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead, but the, the The movie kind of ends in the sense of, like, did this really happen or did it not, right? Mm-hmm, did we actually right. make contact or did we not? And I think that if you have something where there, are, there's, like, a light show in the sky, it's it's too much, like, it too much depends upon, like, kind of universal observation and perception. Yeah, yes. Where totally. everybody can see it. So that debate of whether this really happened or not, that kind of, like, come, uh, is borne out by the end, Um, it just wouldn't work as well, you know? Yes, that's a
1: great agree. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
3: absolutely.
2: And so, like, I, I think that Zemeckis brings to it this kind of narrative cohesion and this perfect kind of like, not circuitousness, but like kind of just like a, a perfect sort of symmetry to all of it, right? Yeah, We're at the symmetry. end. Symmetry, that's right. Yeah. And, and I think it's the thing that feels most in line with a lot of the messages that Carl Sagan was evincing throughout his like career and through his life, mm-hmm. right? Which is that. Like you were saying, Aaron, not only are faith and science compatible, but in order to do what Ellie does, in order to to be a person of the kind of curiosity it takes to like look for extraterrestrial life, to like seek out these big answers to our existence, one actually has to embody really the same kind of mentality, the same kind of principles of curiosity and wonder that spirituality like brings, yeah. right? Like they they it's not even just like you know holding these two things like
3: in the same space but slightly different but they're like they actually are very similar so so to kind of contextualize it to like i mean obviously contact this movie is about like we are contacted by an alien species and the film opens up with us uh, a point point of view of earth and backing out through the solar system and you're hearing these radio transmissions right throughout the decades and the farther back you get from earth the mm-hmm. older the recordings or the the radio gets right and the yes. first one the last one that you hear one of the last ones is hitler's speech the opening ceremony speech in 19 i think was it 32 is it i think yeah um, right. uh, yeah yeah in the the uh the olympic games in germany right and that's the f- last thing that you kind of hear right so when they're decoding or deciphering this message and they find out there's a visual component in an amazing twist of like kind of like the way it's filmed right they're looking on the TV at the image, and they don't know what it is at first, right? And they're kind of like, enhance, rotate, X, Y, and Z, right? And I forgot what it was, but as it pans out, <laughs> it's a fucking swastika, yo, yeah. right? And yep. it's this—it's actually because what the aliens are doing, this is the first... It's taken 26 years for this uh, transmission of Hitler's speech to reach their side of the galaxy. They sent it back as a, hey, hello, we hear you, Right. But the Mm -hmm. reason I'm bringing it up, and I think it's ironic, and I hope I'm not getting too far ahead, is that, you know, when even one of the characters, right, the national security guy says, um, they all think that aliens, right, especially these national security people, that they're going to be um, malevolent, right, that they're going to invade us, right, when they come, right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's one component, but also, it's kind of ironic that one of the most horrific Um, um, like events, right, in human history, in recent human history, right, within the last like a couple decades, right. This is like the first message, right, that they're sending back to us that seems to be a reflection of who we are, right. And if Mm -hmm. I can kind of wrap that all up, I think that's I think that's tied into this search for meaning, right. Like Mm -hmm. the things that we as human beings do, right, for reasons like power or money or I mean, those are the ones that, as a communist, right, those are the ones that I think of. But a lot love as well, all these other reasons. (laughs) And this is the first thing that they send back to us. And it's sort of a reflection about, okay, what do we do with this? The national security guy immediately freaks out. He's like, oh, maybe they either think that, like, oh, uh, we guys agree with you, or it's a sign of aggression, you know? It's
2: it's holding those two ideas in tandem that come up at the end of the movie when, uh, when the aliens appear as David Morse, right. As Ellie's father, yeah. where he says something along the lines of, you know, you're, you're such an interesting species. You have such beautiful dreams and such terrifying nightmares, right. You're yes. capable of both of those things. And just like knowing that one of the first broadcasts ever recorded, right. Like this, this moment of like, a a, a ascendance of like our technological capacity yes just happens to be a recording of a speech by adolf hitler is like (laughs) a perfect just like visual and like audio like summation of that kind of like of, of that dichotomy right yes yes and I noticed, too, that in that scene, you know, where we're pulling back, a lot of the things that we're hearing are horrific, right? We kind of start mm-hmm. in the current moment. We hear things that are uh, are definitive goods, by the way. Third Eye like Blind. Spice Girls. Crash Test Dummies. <laughs> Spice Girls. Spice yes. Girls are in there. All, yeah. all, all pure, wholesome goods. Pure goods. Yeah. Uh, and then as we pull back, you know, we hear... Uh, I I don't remember all of them, but I think we definitely hear some Watergate hearing. We hear the RFK assassination. We hear the JFK assassination. We hear Hitler, right, like in there, and you realize. But we also quickly, hear like,
3: Martin Luther King giving speeches. We hear Martin yeah. Luther King as we're pulling back. We hear other right. like, whatever historical kind of victories, whether it's uh, technological yeah. or whatever, yes, as well, yes. yes. So we it's just both. hear
2: like a lot of noise, right? Like, mm. it, w- but Busby Berkeley's in there, I think. We were in the money, oh, and then yeah. like mm-hmm. Boogie Woogie yeah. Shoes is yep. in there, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, so it's and it's just like this interesting, perplexing kind of like cacophony of of noise right like it's all like cultural markers that we identify Mm. with and we're listening to them as they slowly fade away into nothing while we're being given this like wondrous like magnificent starscape
3: we have to mention how beautiful because this is 97 as well and i mean i guess like i don't know how much money went into the first couple minutes of this but as you're saying the panning out aaron i mean it is it is beautiful and breathtaking in a way that like as Ellie says at the end, right? That she says uh, they should have sent a poet, you know, like yes. that's one thing that this film really gave me to as a kid again, appreciation for space. But yeah, sorry. Continue. No, I we mean, have to talk yeah, about yeah, that yeah. sequence,
2: the, the opening sequence. Yeah. We're, we're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is, I mean,
1: this it's... is literally
3: the first, this is like, you can look it up, but if you haven't seen the film and you want to like, listen to the rest of this episode, or maybe you want to watch it first, you should stop now and watch it. But even if you don't want to watch the <laughs> whole thing, go on YouTube and just look up the opening sequence of this movie. And I want to mention too, as it pans out, because as, as we get further and further out, um, it's just silent, right? So you mm-hmm. see these kind of swirling gases, right? These colorful swirling gases and nebulas and shit like that, man. And then at the end, it pans out, um, out of Ellie's the reflection, I guess, of her eye. Like she's looking. She has her radio mm-hmm. in front of her, and it pans out from her eye, dude. Like it's. I know that's kind of like a trope that people have like seen a lot, probably, and but. I, and I'm probably, maybe this came out, this kind of trope was a thing before this film came out in 97. But I think like, I wouldn't be surprised if people watched this movie and were were inspired by that kind of like that visual panning out, that sort of inner universe, right? Within the eye and panning out that was in this opening sequence, man. It's fucking beautiful. It really was.
1: It's gorgeous. Yeah. And, you know, uh, a not too distant movie also about space that I think plays with that idea. But like, I think is a testament to what you're talking about, Aaron, which is that this did have an imprint on like how we talked about and thought about space and our relation yeah. to it in, in media afterward is men in black because the universe <laughs> is inside that fucking marble. And then um, we
2: find out that our universe is inside a marble inside- as yes. well. Right. Like that, like proximity kind of thing,
1: but it is gorgeous and it perfectly perfectly encapsulates the emotional tenor of this film right yeah. where there is this this propulsion outward and upward and an exploration and and a desire to you know seek things out as you say but that also that there's there's so much vastness inside of us and between yes. us and this is where I'm going to get like very woo woo for a second mm-hmm. because I was feeling it on this Mm -hmm. last watch. But that, that like similarity between the sort of, you know, Milky Way galaxy ness of the things of our uh, irises, right? Yes, yes. And and the the way that it kind of looks and feels like stars and nebulas, Mm -hmm. like that isn't an accident like they're there we are made of stars that's that's the thing we know right it's
2: It's both a. it's like it's a literal and a metaphorical connection of the personal and the monumental yes Yes. and i
1: think that's what this movie is totally all about Mm -hmm. the ways Mm -hmm. in which like it's this thing we keep coming back to like this it's not about science or faith it is about like the the bigness of our universe and also like how personal it all is
3: yes that's a really good point it's sort of like the summation of like it's sort of like you know the i mean i would i guess i would put it like you know the political and personal right but so more it's more so like you know as as ellie says at the end of at the end with the hearing where she's trying to explain and we'll talk about this in more detail but she's kind of trying to explain what happened to her and or if if she made contact or with the experience that she had, if it was real or not. And she says that she, she experienced something that made her realize like how insignificant we are, but how precious we are at the same time. Right. And yeah. this movie is really about like, I mean, I'm going to put my, like, you know, my, my, my like uh, Marxist hat, but it's like, it's really a very dialectical film. Right. Because mm-hmm. Aaron, you brought this up and uh, like I, when they're panning out right in the beginning And it really is, like, these cultural markers, but also, like, these horrifying things, like, you know, Hitler's speech as well, right? I mean, you know, uh, uh, assassinations and whatnot, you know, Nixon, right? Watergate and stuff. I mean, like, but it's also, like, uh, juxtaposed against some of the most beautiful, like, like cinematography, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's all CGI, but, I mean, beautiful, a beautiful depiction of, like, the galaxy. And it really is about, like, you know, whether it's science or religion, right? Whether it's like you know, uh, us being capable. And I that quote, by the way, that um, that Jodie Foster's father at the end. What's what's that actor's name? Because David Morse. Yeah, David oh, Morse. Yeah, David. That Morse. that quote at the end, man. Like that. I when I watched this movie the first time, I mean, I think I've used that quote before to other people and quoted the movie. It's something mm. that's like always stuck with me because, I mean, it really does speak to like our capacity, you know. Like you're like you're saying, like the fact that, you know, uh, Hitler was able to like, you know, design this like this incredibly advanced at the time technology. Right. Where these like radio waves would escape and go out into the fucking galaxy. But it's like one of like this evil, one of the most fucking evil people that ever lived, man, you know, in Mm -hmm. service of like something awful. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, like what else can you say about humanity? But yes, we're capable of like such beauties and such nightmares, you know, that's the only thing, you know. Oh, man. Absolutely. Jesus, man. <laughs> Jesus And man. This movie rips. I mean, this movie rips.
2: It's, <laughs> and, you know, you think about it, too. And, like, I think the thing that that opening does for me is in that moment when you understand what's happening, right? Like, we're traveling, like, light years sort of away from from mm-hmm. Earth. And you, for a moment, at least I did, you know, this time around, realize, like, how would humanity react if we all knew that we were being observed? And not just being observed, but being observed by something more advanced in us that's moved beyond and grown past this kind of like this like infancy of like existence that we're in, you know, like on like the grand sort of like geological scale of things. It it's just a really fascinating kind of thing. And I think that, you know, like religious people kind of keep that in mind sometimes, right? Like they think, Mm. you know, we're we're under observation, you know, like there is a God who's kind of like Mm. making judgments of us. That thing is probably true in some capacity, you know, that like if there is intelligent life, if there is something out there that has advanced beyond whatever stage and like the kind of like cosmic evolution of things that we're at, we are being observed, you know? Yeah. Well, and we
1: know how we would respond because we see it in the film when we get that ugly moment sent back to us that represents so much that we are traumatized and mortified by Mm. The response is outrage, anger, aggression. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we, we don't like that mirror being held up to us, even if the person or thing holding it doesn't know what it means to us. Right. That, that response, I think is a signal to how we, we react to our horrific acts being recorded and played back to us.
3: Yeah. Yeah. One thing I did want to talk about with you, all was like the, uh, what happens in the movie, the reaction with the contact, right? Because not only do you get these like Christian fundamentalists, right. Um, mm-hmm. who, uh, which one of them ends up sabotaging, right. The first test of this, because what they're constructing and what the aliens have sends a blueprint to build a transit system that will, well, they don't know what it is yet or will send them yet, but it will, it possibly send a one person to this alien world. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Uh, this Christian fundamentalist, this uh, he ends up sabotaging it there. That's that one group. Then you have, I guess the Marion Wilson, Williamson kind of character. Right. Um, Right. Which is, uh, which is Matthew McConaughey. But you also get like, I mean, there's this amazing scene where uh, Ellie is driving, um, driving, I guess, like back to her, the uh, satellite station, New Mexico. And Mm -hmm. that's where they discovered the signal. And there are hundreds and hundreds of people right it's almost looks like burning man right there are hundreds of people that are there for essentially like what they either think is a celebration or like this kind of apocalyptic like doomsday right um you have neo-nazis there right because Hitler was the first thing beamed back. I'm sure yes. they're like, oh, these are like space Nazis. <laughs> these are alien Nazis who are going to come <laughs> and fucking help us. You have like people singing and dancing. I mean, there's an amazing scene where you have like, this Native American, these Native American folks who are like playing drums and like burning shit, you know? And it's like all of this, like, again, this summation and this, uh, this, this dialectical nature of like the reaction that people would have, you know? I think it was like not only entertaining, right, an entertaining scene, but like I mean, it was kind of realistic, you know. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know what the fuck I would do, you know. I don't. I'm pretty sure that you would see people either thinking that this was the end of the world, or that like we were going to be invaded or something like that, you know. Yes. I think it was handled really well.
2: It, I mean, it feels incredibly realistic. I think you know it, there was almost like an unease that I got watching that scene because it's like, yeah, like uh, most of us would not know how to make mm. sense of this. I probably yeah. wouldn't know how to make sense of this, you know, even though I'm, I feel, you know, kind of pride myself on being someone primed to receive this kind of information. Mm. We have these sort of templates for what the thing might be, but we just, we genuinely have no idea, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that that's part of the thrill. If we go back for just a moment, cause I do want to talk about mm. the scenes that, that precede this just a little bit when they actually make the discovery, we've talked a little bit about so it, but like yes, it's, yes, it's yes. a, it's a sustained sequence over, you know, a couple of, of places. It starts with Jodie Foster, uh, as Ellie kind of like monitoring the skies from like the hood of her car in mm-hmm. like a very, like, I don't know, kind of sexy, like mid century sort of like, you know, kind of hippy dippy sort of thing. She's just like hanging out on like the hood of like a, a pretty blue, yep. like convertible. Yeah, yeah, and then she hears this noise. They get back to, the, the sort of station where they're operating and realize that it's, you know, it's counting in prime numbers.
3: Yes. Yes. It's a pattern and, counting in prime numbers. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yes.
2: And just the way that this plays out where like they're discovering more and more layers and textures to this like message that otherwise just sounds kind of like a, like a rise and fall sort of like, yeah. you know, like, undulating kind of sound it
3: sounds like a, a machine It almost sounds like machinery yeah
2: undulating yes. kind of machinery yeah yeah yes it's it's just like thrilling i don't know what else to say about it like i don't have anything smart to say about it it's That's just literally like, the it's, word it's, I it's, wrote it's, you're on it's the incredible. edge of your
3: seat you're on the edge of your seat the whole time because also like uh this this I, I, from what I've seen, like there was there was I forget the guy's name, but he was a NASA advisor on the film. And like it's it's been said mm-hmm. that this has been the most realistic kind of depiction, right, about, Like how this kind of science works. So they're not doing like technobabble, right, as they're like discovering like what this message is. But it's still like enough where you can kind of understand it and they yes. don't swamp you with it. But it's also the way that it's filmed. Like it's very mm-hmm. it's very um, kinetic. Right? Like they're moving around, right? They're going to computers, right? The music is kind of rising, you know what I'm saying? And yes. you also see the excitement, right? right? And the excitement, but also the confusion, but mm-hmm. that is also part of the sequence where they're finding out like what it is, you know? yeah, and I got like even a little bit like, I got chills myself because, you know, there's one thing if you're hearing something like this and you're thinking that it's random, right? But to kind of realize that, holy shit light years away there's someone sending something that like they would hope that i can recognize as a pattern and as as ellie says what is that language what is that pattern based on it's based on the fucking language of math right just mm-hmm. sorry you can be like you whether you're like you know religious or not but it's just the language of the fucking universe you know
1: yes right. and, the,
3: and the way that that film employs that is very very it's, it's just captivating man i don't know how else to say it
1: this is one of the sequences that really enforced for me, like how pitch perfect Jodie Foster is in this movie. Oh, She's so good. She's yes. just fucking perfect. And like, we can talk about her more broadly. I think one thing she is just so good at conveying in this person of Ellie is this earnestness that we're talking about, mm. but also this sense of wonder, this sense of mm. curiosity, Also that she's principled and all of this kind of comes to the surface in this sequence when she is uncovering a paradigm, if not like world shifting discovery and she is excited and thrilled by it, but she is also intent on doing it the way that she thinks it should be done. She sticks to her guns when she wants To amplify a certain sound or, um, you know, have have certain people come in like she's not shy about saying like, hey, can you send those boys with the rifles out of here? Like she is she is a woman of science. Yes, but she is also like an explorer. And you see that in this sequence and she just Mm -hmm. nails it. She She nails it top to bottom. She yeah.
3: really does, man. I mean, like, you're making me think, like, you know, probably why I like this too on the rewatch is like she really gives me Star Trek vibes. Like, I'm like, man, they yes. should probably like if Joey Foster was willing to play like a starship captain in like in Voyager, maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe like that show would have probably if I mean that show was sucked for a lot of reasons. But maybe it would have been a little <laughs> better too. But like, you know, like I, I was also thinking too, like, um, you know, like sort of like on the the opposite reaction, right? Not just from like these um um you know, these Christian fundamentalists or even Matthew McConaughey's character, which we should get to. But there is also I never know actors names or even fucking the characters. But what's that? What's her? It's the science advisor to the president. I'm not sure of the actor's name. Oh, um, it's, a, it's a
2: Tom Skerritt, the, the guy who like works for the guy who she works for initially. Who's like the first yes, guy to go yes, up. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, exactly, yeah.
3: exactly, exactly. Um, as opposed to Ellie's genuine curiosity and genuine, like, you know, need the desire to explore. Um, this dude is completely like, uh, also with James Wood's character, um, completely cynical, right? Although this yes. guy is a scientist, right? He ends up taking credit for all of he starts to take credit. I mean, he takes credit the whole entire until he yeah. he until he meets his demise, which Hey maybe a little bit well deserved. Eh, we're, okay yeah, with it. A little bit we're I mean okay it happened that. yeah it <laughs> happened through like you know uh uh you know uh Christian fundamentalist terrorism but also like he's kind of an asshole he's trying to steal steal with thunder. But I think this film the way that sort of the political dynamics I guess like to say it say it uh and it's not a really it's not a political film at all but also the fact that there are people who are self-serving in these positions of uh, of power who only want to do this thing for themselves to further their own goals, versus like again another dialectical thing about this movie, versus like the genuine desire to explore. Because he he actually the film starts four years prior, because Ellie, who's in I think she's in Puerto Rico, um, um, also with another kind of satellite array, she ends up getting shut down, right? Because mm-hmm. this guy ends up shutting it down because he says um, what you're doing is more like science fiction, right? And it's sort of I think like Matthew McConaughey's kind of one thing he kind of had his point about is like, you know, it's not even that this technology is being used to give people meaning. Right. But it's only, it's only uh, uh use is, is, is for profit. Right. Or yes. to alienate us from each other. And I don't know. I just, another like kind of dialectic like thing about this, this, this film that I like, like the difference between like the, 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 the need and the desire to explore, like the human desire to explore versus like, more cynical reasons for doing that, you know? Yes. Yeah. Completely. Absolutely. It's
1: that like, uh, those terms, I'm going to butcher them. The capitalocene, capitalocene and- Oh, the Anthropocene? uh, Anthropocene anthropocene where like, it's not that man is inherently corrosive and like destructive. It is that under the system of capitalism he is, right? And, and that's, that's these two things, right? And, and the character of Tom Skerritt is is not only representing the profit motives behind like why we do things, but I think he's also he's also this interesting character because he doesn't come off as like completely despicable. Like you can tell yeah, he doesn't, that you're there, right. there's something there that I don't want to say. Like I I was glad that he died because the movie sets us up to be, <laughs> yeah. but. And he's but being
2: I, an asshole during that whole thing, too, because, like, they even mentioned, like, oh, he knows he's on television. So he's like, he's like, yucking yeah. it up for the camera. He's yeah, like, yeah, he's grandstanding. And,
1: yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but I think what he also represents is not just the, the, the profit motive, but the ways in which these disciplines or these, mm. these uh, industries can. Become distorted Mm -hmm. over time, right? Like not just because of profit, the profit motive, but also just because of their connection to other systems
3: and seniority as well. Like you know, like how long you've been in this, right? And it's like I think too, like the fact that like he ends up dying, right? Like um, and the way he dies is you have this this terror of this guy who ends up blowing up, sabotaging. um, This he's he truly is an apocalyptician because they show like his his video where he's kind of talking about why he does what he does, but they're doing a first test run. He ends up blowing it up and um, uh, that guy ends up dying. And I think like, that was like, for me, a sort of like validation of like, you know, like w- why do we explore? Why do mm-hmm. we like push the boundaries? Right. It's not, you know, for, for self-serving reasons for money or power, but it's because like, how else can I say But it's like, we're, we're human. I mean, that's what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we have, we a search for meaning. I mean, again, what this whole entire film is about, you know, I think that this is exemplified in
2: that conversation that they have shortly before the, uh, the machine is blown up by Jake Busey's character. Yeah. Yeah. Ellie has been, you know, they, they've, they've done this sort of like hearing in front of this kind of like presidential panel that have asked them questions, uh, to decide who gets to be the person to man the machine. Right. Mm -hmm. And she answers, honestly, she's kind of sabotaged by Matthew McConaughey's character. Um, and, and he asks her point blank, like, do you believe in God? And this is when that kind of conversation comes up where, mm. uh, she, they're kind of like, you know, 95% of this planet believes in some sort of like higher power, supreme being. So it's important. We think for the person who goes up to be representative of most of humanity. Yeah. And then Tom Scarrett's character, like totally plays it and is like just doing what's expedient for him answers and gives them like exactly what they want to hear. And then they have a brief confrontation just like a conversation on like the field in front of the machine before they kind of go to their respective places for the test run where he says what you don't know about me is that I agree with you Ellie like I wish we lived in a world where like honesty and like your perspective and point of view were validated and rewarded instead of like shunned but we don't mm-hmm. live in that world and she says it's funny you know like I always just kind of believe that the world was whatever we made it. Yeah. And it's just this uh, kind of like yes. idea of like that like internalized like capitalist realism, right? Yeah. And that idea of like alternatives. And and I think that like that that idea that like Jodie Foster's character embodies is just like really fascinating to me. You know, mm-hmm. that it's like she has to look beyond the general kind of conceits of like this like this
3: smallness, like this narrow aperture of of she the does it existence a hearing. that we have. Yeah. she does yeah. it in the hearing because they ask her in the hearing, oh dude, this scene, I didn't catch it because I didn't watch it when I was a communist, right? But her <laughs> answer, right? They ask her, um, okay, in this hearing, when they're doing the selection process, if you only had one question to ask them, what would you ask them, right? And she mm-hmm. says, I wrote it down. she says, she says, um, um h- how did you do it, right? How did you survive so long, right? to achieve this level of like technological, like, you know, ad- uh, advancement? Without tearing yourselves apart, you know, Mm -hmm. and I mean, the the only fucking way to do that, in my opinion, right, is to like sort of achieve like some sort of collectivist like society, right, through our politics and our economy. But I also think it's interesting, right, the fact that um his character he ends up saying exactly what he ends up getting chosen because. Uh, Matthew McConaughey sabotages her by asking whether or not uh, she believes in God. And of course, he says what the hear- what everybody in the hearing wants to hear is like, yes, I believe in God. But this is the thing I was thinking about when I was watching it. I was like, yo, maybe the fact that these aliens have gotten over this belief in a superior like being that causes and incites religious conflict, maybe because they fucking got over that, they were able to to become as technologically advanced and as socially and politically advanced, right? To achieve the technology to travel across fucking, like, star systems, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. it was that, that scene really pissed me off because, like, as you were saying, Aaron, not only do we know that he's fucking lying, but it's also just, like, the, like, the insanity of the question, right? The fact that, and I get it, I understand, it is a good point that 95% of people, you know, mm-hmm. do believe in this, but I mean, like, but I mean, look where it's gotten us, right? Right. I yeah. think that the most important thing, if you want to send a representative of humanity, is for this person to not only just be curious, but to be honest, right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. What if these motherfuckers, man, are like, you know, like telepathic or some shit like that, and they know that you're fucking <laughs> lying, you know what I'm saying? And they know that you're dishonorable, yeah. you know what I mean? They fucking like lays you out or some shit. So I like, yep. I really think like that, that sort of like question that she asked, right, was sort of, I don't know if zemeckis probably not i don't know what the politics are I even jodie foster but like it really is like without kind of knowing it they kind of answered it right it's like oh to achieve like you know this sort of you have to get past the post-scarcity society i mean there's no way that we're gonna fucking get off this rock unless we harness the resources collectively that was like i'm happy you brought that up in aaron because that hearing was like really it was really it was really good it was really mm. another good example of like what this movie actually is about you know
1: yeah, and you both are making me realize that it's not that they they were able to achieve that because they weren't religious or didn't believe in a god or or mm-hmm. or something, but that what they moved to is their reverence for existence, their yeah. reverence for like the universe being the thing that is their their spirituality touchstone right, right? like yeah. that's the thing that they hold dear that's the thing that we can imagine would allow them to advance in such a way as to to move past these more terrestrial um kind of like earthly quite literally conflicts yeah. it's that they do have this reverence that Jody her Jody's character herself has and mm-hmm. and that is I don't want to equate that with communism but that is a form of collectivism right understanding yes. the the smallness of yourself and the way that you are connected to something bigger requires you to move past not just a scarcity mindset but an individualistic perspective mm-hmm. completely and and all of the people that surround her except for really the scientific team that she works with embody that individualism embody that scarcity mindset
3: yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, I want to read real quick, like, like because this like collectivism, right? And I know Aaron, you mentioned the quote, but I want to write it down because the the um um her father at the end, or the alien that appears as her father at the end, right, when mm-hmm. she finally makes contact, right? He has this amazing line and and it also hints towards that collectivism. He says, You're an interesting species, an interesting mix. You're capable of such beautiful dreams and such horrible nightmares. You feel so lost, so cut off, so alone, only you're not. See. In all our searching, the only thing we found to make the emptiness bearable is each other. Yep. Yo, when I tell you, man, I'm about to tear up that line. It's like, incredible. I, it's incredible, and it really, like, sort of, like, you know, especially now, right? In the way that I, like, you know, uh, my conception of the world politically, and you know, not even knowing, like, what the fuck, what, what do we even do, right? What, what step by step, like, what do, how do we go about this process without even thinking about it, about that? It's more about, like. Yo, the only thing that makes any of this worth it is like each other, right? Mm-hmm. Because yes. like at the end of the fucking day, like I, I, I know like no person is like an island. Like I couldn't be this myself. I couldn't be the person I I am without my friends and family and the people in my life, in my life, you know. And like, but on a galactic scale, you know, on like an intergalactic scale, to think about mm-hmm. that, yes. man. It, oh god, it's just it was such a beautiful line, man. It was it was something that, I mean. <sighs> I mean, in the movie about like first contact with aliens, it was just something that like was so philosophical, so philosophically deep that I was not expecting it the first time I watched it. You know, I was absolutely
2: yes, one hundred percent. More on that in just a minute. Let's Mm. talk a little bit about Matthew McConaughey's character, Palmer Joss, his relationship to. Ellie Wait, is that really his name palmer joss is palmer
3: joss is his name
2: <laughs> yeah joss yeah. is
3: his last name yeah. uh
2: so I, i'm curious about this with you all um i know that when carly and i kind of discussed this off mic after watching it recently i think it's like the, the one thing like if you ask me for criticism to this movie i think it's like the one thing that i would highlight is the thing that works the least in the movie mm. I, I, it like I, I understand why i like the way you put that works the least <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's i don't think that there's many like issues with this movie i think it's a wonderful wonderful movie i think it's mm. like it, it's fantastic but i think the functional reasons for that sort of like duality being present right mm-hmm. of like the idea of like spirituality and faith and science is mm. necessary but the romantic Sort of like tension in the will they won't they uh, of it feels a little bit kind of like shoehorned in. Like they just don't to me ever feel like a really convincing couple. Um, yeah,
3: y- yeah. You know what? You know what? You're right. You know what? I was fooled because they're both incredibly attractive and they live <laughs> yes! together. They're both. They're both. And they're that. And they had. They, yeah, they had like like physical chemistry, or you wanted yeah. them to have physical chemistry. Like you wanted them to fucking like make out every time you saw them. But you're right. It kind of also. And not to say that you can't be attracted to someone who's like diametrically opposed to you especially whether it's politically or it's spiritually whatever right but it's also kind of like you see that like um you know what all right i'm gonna i'm just, before i cut myself off it, you see that like um ellie's kind of like her her eyes kind of sparkle when she finds out that matthew mcconaughey's character is not at the time he's not like a a religious leader but he he uh um is a religious man he's a man of faith right like a man of the cloth i guess is what he calls himself but not
2: Right. he, he and says I'm, a man of the cloth without the cloth
3: without the cloth and i'm kind of like <laughs> i'm kind of like yo why would like I, i'd like why would she be interested in that but i was cutting myself off to say that maybe because ellie likes uh the challenge of kind of pursuit right she mm-hmm. likes to like sort of like maybe it'd be but i'm thinking to myself man bro like this is another side story, but I went to a debate for a governor's debate in Georgia here um, a couple years ago between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp and this other guy. Oh, and I went, it was at a bar, <laughs> it was at a fucking bar. And I'm assuming everybody there uh, is like a Democrat because it's a very liberal bar. Um, it's explicitly so. Um, and I met this girl um, who I ended up finding out was a Republican. And I cannot tell you, yo, if y'all listen out there, you know, you have somebody as a partner or, you know, that you are politically like you know differences i'm not saying you can't do it but i'll tell you i was on the other side of the fucking room right yeah i can't imagine (laughs) that jodie foster's character as an astronomer but you know i mean whatever man like maybe like i said maybe it's because she likes a challenge you know uh but it 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 worked physically but aaron you're right you're right it didn't really it didn't really work like romantically, you're right.
2: well, you're it, making me realize actually too, though that there's like uh, like a direct proxy within like the the Clinton years, like of James. Speed. Jay, well, no, I was gonna say James Carville and Mary Madeline.
3: Oh yes, that that's like, right. That
2: like they're really? like on opposite sides of like the the political aisle, and they're I like a couple. Forgot and about like those that dudes. was like a big thing in the '90s that they were like that like they could be opposites and they would attract each other anyway. Like,
1: yes. And you're also making me think about the conversation. We had a conversation with, with Megan day from Jacobin about um, you've got mail and it's a, it's a movie, whatever Um, (laughs) it is. It is between it's a love story between Tom Hanks, character and uh, Meg Ryan's character. Meg Ryan is like, I don't want to say she's a proxy for, boutique capitalism but she is she's like a small business owner right and she's like very apolitical and like doesn't doesn't believe in like the big business like book chain and tom hanks is like a a full-throated capitalist Mm. and they end up you know together happily ever after and megan makes this beautiful point about this sort of apoliticism of the time that like Mm. a, a relationship like this could could foreseeably exist and last because there was this kind of like smoothing of the edges of things like with neoliberalism yeah. sort of yeah. uh like flattening everything out and making everything feel yeah. like it's about culture and not yeah. politics and yeah and, and
3: which are and, rooted in material issues and whatnot yes. like who has power and who doesn't instead yeah, it's precisely. like who watches yeah it's like who watches what who believes what instead right yeah yes yeah
1: and and yeah. fundamentally culture as you have so aptly put it on this show before is is born out of and also informs politics yeah. and and you all are just making me realize that that was like an idea of the time that like oh we yeah. could be star-crossed like lovers and just not. but you're right like no yeah. if if one of us believed something different you know we have our our spectrums but like it just doesn't work, right. and not if you're gonna just feel all your feelings and talk about things <laughs> yeah, and like yeah, exist yeah. wholly. You cannot yeah. do that with a person who believes something fundamentally opposed to you. Yeah, you,
2: although you, you ch- can make I the w- argument, it's like mm. pussy so good it makes you doubt God. You know, like exactly, exactly it makes you doubt thing. God so, so. or believe in fucking aliens. You know, <laughs> or,
3: but like <laughs> I, will, I will, I did want to mention something else too. Uh, I will not jump ahead too, but um this is another character kind of tertiary character actually he's not a tertiary character he's a very important character uh this this whole machine this whole project is uh funded um and i feel yes. like this is a very 90s thing so aaron the reason why i made that connection is because along with the kind of like moral panic and mm-hmm. sort of like um um the the right-wing christian fundamentalism um that echoes the 90s you also have this um optimism in business right so yep. you have um you have this uh, billionaire um, industrialist benefactor Mm -hmm. Um, who, uh, we didn't explain it before, but he helps, uh, Jodie Foster's character, Ellie decipher the code, right? He helps develop the primers, right? To find out that actually this, 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 this message is not linear. It's not meant to be read like conventional language that we have, but it's actually three dimensional, right? So, Mm -hmm. but he's a billionaire, right? Which a billionaire who eccentric billionaire who lives on an airplane, right? Um, but I wanted to bring Mm -hmm. it up because I thought it was very interesting how, like, you know, obviously uh, you, we have people like Bezos and like, you know, um, um, you know, uh, Elon Musk and shit. And the fact that we still kind of do believe that we're going to be shepherded into the future, stewarded into the future yep. by these um, these billionaires who are doing it, um, not because they want to make money, but because they are uh, generally altruistic reasons. And as this character says, um, again, I don't know the actor's name, but as this billionaire benefactor says he says um, I want to be able to give back, right? Everything that I've taken, right? God, and I mean, no. that's just such a fucking 90s thing, man. Like it's such so nice. It's, it's so, and it's kind of like the one, like the one part two, along with the romance where I'm kind of like, yo, I guess this is, I guess it would have been too optimistic to hope that the world would have come together in harmony to like develop the resources to do this without one fucking rich guy like yes. not only not only shepherding it but also like having another machine already fucking built after yeah, also the fact that sure. this is perfect clintonism i know i'm right but the political thing too perfect clintonism where it's like oh no we're, we use the government's money to do this the government just fucking like you know gave us subsidies to fucking build this like yep. intergalactic yeah, transportation <laughs> device and i'm like yo this is mad this bad 90s right now this is absolutely yeah. true yeah just give the corporations a bunch of fucking money it's neoliberalism like one yes they also do
2: yeah. a wonderful thing with like the news broadcasts where like uh angela bassett's like the the spokesperson like the mouthpiece for this project from the president right yeah.
3: and who is president clinton by the way it's literally who president, is president clinton it's, it's clips it's- from president clinton yes <laughs>
1: It's real, real crazy. clips.
3: It's it's again like that. It's like
1: so well done. It's
3: the Forrest Gump
2: kind of effect that they do, where they like yeah. kind of like superimpose people into it. Apparently, the Clinton administration was not very happy that. They yes, did it. there was controversy like they, about that. Yeah, like yeah. they they like did it and then asked like for forgiveness later. Not their original intent. In fact, they approached Sidney Poitier about playing the president in the movie, and he turned it down.
1: Did he really? He
2: did. What? Interestingly enough. There was uh, that film, The Jackal, that Richard Gere and Bruce Willis are both in. Oh, yeah. McConaughey was initially attached to Star in it. He left that project in order to do Contact because he liked it so much. Poitier was also approached to do Contact, said no, and his final film appearance is in The Jackal.
3: Oh, they just switched places. (laughs) They just switched places.
2: (laughs) Um, Oh, that's wild. But I think they make, like, incredible use of it. They also, like, I guess there was a bunch of controversy with, like, all of the uh, news broadcasters too, like yeah, all the CNN, CNN yeah, people. like
3: because Wolf, Wolf Blitzer is a young Wolf Blitzer, although right. he's still like white, he's still like kind of hoary with like white hair yes. and beard. No, hair totally, and shit. but a young Wolf King. Blitzer. Yeah, Larry King actually, Larry right. King, he's interviewing Matthew McConaughey's character Palmer Joss. Yeah. He's in it as well,
2: and Andrew and uh, Carl Sagan's uh, real life wife, who like wrote the original like story mm. and treatment for this. Makes a cameo in that crossfire sequence. She's the person debating Rob Lowe's character. Oh, yeah, and they actually like credit her as herself. That oh, she's wow. like so. There's like this weird kind of like meta narrative part of it. Also interesting, interesting
3: that interesting that Rob Lowe. Uh, uh, people know him. He plays, um, uh, I guess like the press guy. I forget what I forget what his actual role is. But in The West Wing, yeah, um, yep. he's a member. He's a staff member of a Democratic administration. And as you'd mentioned, Aaron, in this one. Um he's like a Tucker Carlson actually. He's like yep. a he's like a kind of like very prim, bow tied, like you know, he's like a bow tied Nazi, you know. And he's he, yeah, he's pretty pretty right wing Yeah. Um, he is.
1: Yes. He totally yeah. is.
2: Yeah. But but going back to like the news conference situation with Angela Bassett, there is like a really funny like gotcha moment where she's saying like oh, you know, like, this is all, like, government subsidized stuff, you know, like, this is government workers, whatever, we're creating jobs and then they're like, well, actually, aren't you just, like, outsourcing all of this to, like, Japanese subcontractors for, like, the rights to the technology and she's like, uh, and then it cuts. Like it's like the end yeah. of the broadcast where yeah, like I remember the, yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Yeah, it's just <laughs> NAFTA. like yeah. yes, yes, they actually, yes, they actually do talk talk about that too. Where it's like it kind of tries to like, but it doesn't do it in a critical light at all. It's just no. more about like these are this is just the function of the society that we live in. Like this is just the ambient mm-hmm. background noise at the time where it's like, oh yeah, like of course the government would invest money like in this like massive project, but I mean, like, I don't know, like, again, like, it's like the optimism of this billionaire benefactor. It's like just interesting to like, and a little sad, that was like a little sad part of watching it, like knowing Mm -hmm. that that's what motherfuckers thought in the 90s. And like 30 years on, like, you think that Elon Musk is going to take us to Mars, you know? Yeah. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. That like, that like insane pedestaling that really started with Clintonism of corporate america and the leaders of tech being our saviors like literally like that language is used in multiple speeches of his and hillary's from the time like i've gone back and read just because i've wanted to or it's been germane Mm -hmm. to a conversation that we've had on on the show and like it's like evangelism yeah it is evangelism for these these businessmen and and like it's only gotten worse. It is only yeah. concentrated. Yeah. And now it's something that not just the government believes, but that, you know, everyday people, just the, the broader American populace believes.
2: Yeah, we've been conditioned mm-hmm. into this like plutocratic thinking. Right. And I would I wanted to say, you know, this is the thing that's aged the worst about the movie, but it hasn't like it's actually feels incredibly salient. And I actually appreciate that the movie you know makes this character kind of like the deus ex machina and like a couple of different you know like distinct places where like he's the guy who finances like the other machine after the explosion he he, He,
3: he first he he develops like he finds the primer he finds the way to like uh uh, decode like the shit. yeah he he just shows up at the most convenient moments
2: but he's also like not a particularly sympathetic character like they kind of make john hurt a creep in this movie like i never once like thought oh, this person is, like, a good guy. I was always like, this guy is super fucking weird. Uh,
3: yeah, yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. also seems like you kind of, like... Uh, uh, God, I'm, I'm trying not to, to talk about this without jumping ahead and giving context, but there's a hearing at the end to find mm-hmm. out, again, what, what happened or uh, whether this contact happened or not, which we'll talk about, right? We definitely we have to talk about. And uh, James Wood's character, this national security guy who... Uh, due to his cynicism uh, and political maneuvering, uh, he ends up quitting this national security role. We find out and uh, possibly run for office, right? Um, yeah. But he, God, what was I saying? What, what were we just talking about? I just, I just completely lost my train of thought.
2: Uh, probably oh, John Hurt's character being the scapegoat at the end that he uses. Yes,
3: yes, yes, yes. He, yes, he uses him. Yes, he says this is a hoax, right? This is a hoax that was developed um, by this billionaire benefactor, um, and this whole contact event it never happened at all, right? And, you know, at first I was like, kind of like, no, fuck you, dude, because we as the viewers, we know that it happened for several reasons that we'll talk about. But I kind of thought about it and I was like, man, like this is definitely like a billionaire. It would totally be a billionaire vanity project. Right. Mm. Like going to space is totally a billionaire vanity project for them. I could imagine that, like, again, like uh, despite him saying that his character saying that I want to give back. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I could also imagine, like, within the internal logic of the movie that it's cynicism, right? But it doesn't matter because he ends up fucking giving away, like, a third of a trillion dollars to build this thing. Um, But, yeah, it's a very 90s, a very 90s evocative of, like, the 90s, like, kind of logic of, like, what the market could do. And the fact that
2: Clinton, once he
3: got elected, basically said, all right, you guys could take it from here and gave it over to corporations, you know? Yes. Definitely.
1: That's exactly what he did
2: uh but let's let's move on to the last act of this movie. like once mm. the explosions happened, we have this second machine. Ellie has been chosen to uh pilot this this machine um and we we have this kind of like transcendent moment where she's in she's launched. she goes through like this wormhole I had never noticed it before and we had a long conversation about it before uh before this show how kind of like just like kind of like stomach churning all like the lead-up is yeah. and like how much they set up yes. kind of like the danger of it they yes. they do the they do the, like the the cyanide pill kind of like which thing, is, right, controversial. Where like, yeah, which
3: is yeah, controversial yeah yeah controversial because carl sagan uh carl sagan who uh he wasn't the advisor on the film, but the guy that was advising it, I'm trying to find his name, Gerald D. Griffin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that that actually never happened, that right. that was another thing that happened, that NASA didn't give out cyanide pills, and this was done for the dramatic effect. But Carl Sagan said, no, that shit really did happen. Yeah,
1: Sagan, like, ins- thought- Sagan
3: insists that it happened.
2: We
1: had that yeah, exact same conversation. It yeah. for sure did. And we know <laughs> oh, that- Oh, dude, it
3: totally fucking happened.
2: Absolutely. Of
1: course. And we also know that, like, as-, as- as like military exploits advanced all over the world, this was something we gave soldiers, like not, yeah. not exactly cyanide pills in that form, but we gave them a kill switch all the time.
3: Yeah, of course. Oh yeah, because because you can be in any situation at all where like, you know, it's debatable or maybe not like whether or not you'd want to live. And I mean, especially if you're talking about traveling to the, cent- traveling to the center of the galaxy, you know, and, and Ellie, to her credit, I really do again, um, her her sense of, um, wonderment and sense of trust, right? Because she entirely trusts this process and she wants mm-hmm. to do it the way she wants to do it, but she also trusts these aliens, right? Yes. And she says yep. to them, she's like, why do we need a chair? You know, why do we need this and that? Like, w- I think they knew what they were doing. And I really like kind of enjoyed that sort of faith. She took a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yes. whole movie, she is like kind of not excoriating, but she's kind of like downplaying, right? The role of faith, but she does it the entire movie, including not wanting to be like strapped to at least the fucking chair while you're going through a wormhole. You know what I mean? Literally,
1: literally. (laughs) She's like giving herself up to the thing Mm -hmm. and and, like doing so, like not just spiritually and emotionally, but physically. She's she is putting faith in the process. Yeah, absolutely agree.
2: And this is the thing that I was kind of getting to is like Mm. that lead up. You know, you've got. You've got the Japanese subcontractors with like the H for Hadden, right? And they're like wearing like <laughs> black trench coats and like kind yeah. of like round, almost like World War One, like kind of like bomber hat kind very of very austere you know?
3: faces, not smart, yes. very very sincere because right. it's a very serious moment. Precisely, yep.
2: and I I noticed this time around. I was you know talking with Carly about it. Like so much of this feels like an execution. That like yeah. they kind of like walk her up to sort of like the plank, right? And then she like yeah. crosses it by herself. And then but when she, she looks, sits, she
3: stops first before she yeah. crosses, right? She looks and she looks down, yeah. and that's the first time that like. And sorry to cut you off, Aaron, but but for for people that uh, haven't seen it yet, what the machine is is that it's a uh, uh, these rotating like I think six rotating rings, mm-hmm. right? Um, that uh, this ball will drop through. So she's walking, like to enter into this ball that's going to drop through the ring. She looks down, and you're absolutely right, man. It feels like a walking the plank because they're over the sea. So yep. yeah. you see the waves clashing. You know, mm-hmm. oh god, sorry, I cut you off. But yes, it is the lead up, man. Ah, uh, it's very tense.
2: Yeah, it's it incredibly is. tense. Then even when she sits down, you know, like they're strapping her in, almost like they're like strapping her into the chair, right? Like she's yeah. like yeah. is getting kind of like like uh, pushed in and and secured another thing I noticed that like it's not a usual like spacesuit like they give it a functionality that she has to be kind of like attached to the seat Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but her spacesuit almost kind of reads like armor and Mm -hmm. you know I I was thinking about it and and, you know reading some things and and, uh, another critic pointed out that there's almost this evocation of like martyrdom of like Joan of Arc or like other characters like
3: this. yeah because she wears like a quilted it's almost like a quilted kind of like uniform that almost, yeah. almost evokes like the quilted kind of armor right that we used to wear in medieval times it's very mm-hmm. Joan of Arc yo holy shit yeah yeah (laughs) whoa that's a really good analogy holy shit jodie foster's joan of arc in this ellie is joan of arc in this fucking movie yeah
1: i think that's right that feels right (laughs) that
2: feels right to me too and then of course like the thing that you're both talking about which is like she's in the chair she's already mentioned that like she wants to take this leap and then what does she do once she gets to a certain point like she does she detaches herself from the chair but it's like it's that moment that is like a like legitimate stepping over the ledge and like release and leap of faith that she takes in that
3: moment man i cried like to the lead up too because this is the part where like i was tearing up in this lead up yeah where she's sitting there and they're uh they're going to like full capacity right so these Mm -hmm. rings are like oscillating and they're spinning right and there's this like you know this uh fantastic flash of light that they can see out at the station you know it's insane and She's sitting there shaking in her seat and she's saying, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But to because go. of the yeah. interference, right? From the energy, they can't hear her. And man, that I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. She's just saying it and she's shaking. I mean, I want to ask you guys this, right? Like, one thing I love about this movie too is like, I always, I never, not that I wanted to be an astronaut, but like, if I ever got the opportunity, I always said I would fucking go to space, right? I would totally do it. Mm-hmm. But like, watching her get ready to like, God knows what's gonna happen. Like, would you guys have done it? Like, would you be willing to like kind of take that leap, knowing that like you could possibly die?
2: Probably not. not. And like, she plays this. Jodie Foster does this so magnificently well. She like finds this way to make it. I mean, you. She's so convincing as a woman who is like pushing through all of this like terror of the unknown and she's playing it so well there's almost like an infantile kind of quality to it where it almost kind of seems like she's like whimpering crying a little bit well you're
1: you're like lizard brain at that point right you are so consumed by fear that you are just it's and it's like that thing that uh, we can talk about grief and loss in relation Mm -hmm. to this movie but Mm I've I've had that experience of being so scared and in so much pain that I just focus on a phrase or a word that like I can I can like triangulate my sort of like my my balance on. Because when you are adrift in fear and and sadness and pain and all of those things like you do need something to to anchor you down. And that's like that moment felt so human when she is kind yes. of whimpering and just like she's saying that same phrase over and over and over again. And it's keeping her grounded.
3: You know, and you've reminded me too, because we got to talk about her going through the wormhole. So essentially oh, when it drops, right? When when uh, when they let her go, when they finally hear her say she's ready to go and it drops, right? She drops the the IPV is what they call it. I guess it's like that ball sphere that she's in. It drops into a wormhole, right? And she's going through this wormhole, and she's seeing, again, kind of what we saw in the beginning, but even more because, I mean, this is, like, much outside of our galaxy, right? We're seeing, like, these nebulas, these star systems. And, man, oh, God, dude, like, you know, the scene where she, like, she's looking at, like, this, this, I don't even know what the fuck it is, man. It's, like, the spiraling galaxy, and it's just, like, this, like, like, orange and red, like, hot gas, and she's looking at it. And this is when she takes herself out of the seat, right, because... Um, she she reaches to grab a compass right um, and we didn't talk about this but she reaches to grab something that Matthew McConaughey gave her it's a mm-hmm. token that reminds her of him right so yep. she pulls herself out of the seat to grab it and she's in zero G also looking at whatever this beautiful cosmic event is and like her fucking face like the way they do the CGI like and she turns into a child right Yeah, they do the CGI where like so there's like a flash of like not only, and she says like that's when she says like I had no idea you know, I had no idea. And she says, like, they should have sent a poet. And man, like, yo, somebody who's like, I, I asked the question, like, would you guys be willing to go, you know, because I, as insane as that sounds, and I'll never have the opportunity to do it. Like, there's just something about there, there's something that's so expansive, right? And so like, I don't even have the words for it, right? Like to even like, look at the planet Earth from orbit, like you've had astronauts that say that it's one of the most like like uh, transformative experiences that they've ever had, right? To see that, and to see her and her willing to do this, willing to die, and to see this and like this this childlike wonder come back, man. Like it really like made me feel like a kid, you know, yes. you know. And I yeah. th- th- and the way it looked too. I mean, the people you people you have to fucking watch this this movie at least for the third act that we're talking about because <laughs> all of all of the kind of like hopes and dreams and fears that you have for yourself, but like humanity as well is sort of embodied in this travel to the wormhole to fucking God knows where, which, you know, but sorry, man, I was about to cry for a little bit because that scene, man, when she's like looking at that cosmic event, like it just, it was just something that like, I could only hope that I'm so lucky to see something as fucking beautiful. Is that, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. God, yes.
1: Man. You're, you're God. touching on something that I, I felt so deeply when I was watching the film this time that I think I've always understood on some level, but really, 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 really felt it this time around, which is that, this movie understands that there are things about the universe that we are not meant to know, yeah. and and like that that is okay, and that's also like what drives her desire to explore. It's what drives more things being encountered and and understood. But when you have decided that you've learned all the things you could know. And we, we know all of the corners of space and like, we're good. Like that's, that's a very human thing. And what I love about what you're saying, Aaron, that this movie gets so right is that there is so much ego involved in being human. Right. But Mm. ultimately the thing that is most human is that release and like sort of oneness that she feels when she sees this thing that is bigger than her that she doesn't have words for she is you get the sense that she's she's understanding how small she is but she's also feeling connected to it and and that is like the thing that this movie does such a good job of communicating for like you know a, a two and a half hour space adventure it is also deeply emotional and and communicates this thing that I love about space like I'm not a math person I studied fucking art Mm. history like (laughs) I had to take an astronomy class because I needed it for my major whatever I couldn't do the math but I was fucking fascinated by it like I just was like I can't believe this exists and we have a language to talk about it and i can't believe there are things that like we could explain that we don't know about yet that it we'll, we'll never see that we will never see yep. will and never this movie like puts us in that headspace via her as the protagonist yes and so few movies engender that response especially it- these days and this, this movie is perfect for the record. Like even <laughs> if problems. If that you win, couldn't tell about our enthusiasm, it
2: is perfect. We, we can nitpick it all day, but it, I mean, it really is. And I, I think this is a good jumping off point to like one other kind of observation I have about mm. this ending specifically, but kind of the film as a whole, which is that there seems to be this like, kind of like obsession with our existence being hypermediated and Mm. like almost like an appeal to like shed some of that mediation yes like Mm. i don't know if you noticed this but i mean from the outset right like the very first thing that we come into is like an abrupt almost like jump scare of noise on the screen and it's like all of these different like kind of we're awash in different like sounds and trying to pull things out of it and extract meaning And then we pull away and like the really transcendent part of that whole scene is when we stop hearing everything and we're just seeing the kind of the grandness of space, right?
1: Well, and Zemeckis fills the entire film with screens and reflections and noises. And this is what I'm
2: getting to is like after a certain point, like almost every sequence has like some sort of screen in it. Like- there's a bunch of video chat conferences that were like not a normal part of like existence mm-hmm. in 1997 like even between like angela Bassett and james woods and then mm-hmm. you know uh jodie foster and john hurt we see things through the television we see the explosion like the act of terror silently
3: happen through like the the mm-hmm. screen before we see it in the bat in the distance there also it's not a tv but when um when her father dies and she runs upstairs to grab the pills and the way that it's filmed. It's filmed like her running up the yep. stairs, but it's actually from the fucking point of view of the mirror yep. in the yes. bathroom, thank in the f- cabinet where the fucking pills are. Yeah. Yes. I think that's an example of what you're talking about. This yeah. hypermediation is fucking perfect, man.
2: Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up. I think w- we would be remiss to like not talk about this is like it is, I think, you know, one of the most effective like uh, visual effects shots I've ever seen. It is done. How with do CGI. they even do it? Oh, see, I, obviously CG. Yeah. They, 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 but they shot it from three different kind of like vantages where they like mm. actually had the camera operator follow her up the stairs and down the hallway. Mm. They had another camera like shoot the same moment where she pulls the uh the, the, the cabinet, cabinet open, open. And it's a mm. blue screen rather than a mirror mm-hmm. on the cabinet. Oh. And then they shot what would be the vantage point of the mirror. Of the mirror. And from in front of her the opening. And they composited it onto the blue screen and like seamlessly cut them together so it's that it all feels perfect. like one. And
3: thing. then and then where does it end? Where where does where does it end? Where's that scene end? Uh the, the mirror uh in the vanity, it ends on a um a photograph of her and her father. Like that's mm-hmm. where like the door of the, the, the vanity, I guess in the, the cabinet decides to stop, right? So the mirror yeah. is reflecting a photo of her her and her father. Like yes. and it's just like, dude, that scene like I mean, we didn't. We didn't. We we kind of like jumped around, but like had to mention that scene, especially with the hypermediation you're talking about. But continue on that point because I didn't. I didn't really think about that. You're right. Even with the even with the sabotage event, we see it happen on the security cameras before. It's actually it's not actually filmed. We
2: don't actually see it filmed.
1: Right. Right.
3: We just kind of see it from a distance too when it
2: actually happens. One of the other things, you know, like when Ellie finally is like making this leap. We're no longer seeing things mediated through a screen. She's actually looking at something that's become translucent, right? Like this thing actually mm. has like a hole that she can see through. Not to mention, in the midst of all of this, who is the character that actually signals to everybody that she is good to go? It's William Fickner's character who's yeah. blind, right? Blind. He actually has lost a, a sensory perception. And it's only because of that that
3: he's heightened in his ability to hear her Say, I'm good to go. He also hears, he also hears Um. Um. when they're decoding it, he also realizes that there's like a sub layer to yes. this recording. So yep. there's more going on, which he finds out is the interlaced image or mm-hmm. interstitial image of, I guess, the blueprint, right? Yes. For, for this thing, right? Possess- or yes. maybe it's the swastika, either one. Either one yep. of them, but he finds out there's an image embedded in it.
2: Yeah. Right. And it almost kind of seems like, you know, throughout the film, there's almost this appeal... Or this like kind of insistence that to transcend to 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 move beyond, to like continue this sort of like look forward into the future and into our advancement, there almost has to be kind of this abandoning of some of those pretenses of all of the noise and like a, a, a kind of like recalibration and focus on the imperatives, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you can stretch that outward into like a, th- a thematic thing, right? That like all the noise and the cacophony of like different percep- perspectives and and or cynicism even the even and stuff the ref- even it, the
3: medi- even the reflection, right? Like not to cut you up, but you're giving me think. Even the reflection and things being, it's like seeing us outside of ourselves, right? Yes. So these yeah. these events that are happening are seen outside of us, and it takes like it takes this kind of grand like perception to come to come out and look at something in the totality, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than like these individualistic or atomized, um, 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 sort of instances and conflicts, you know? Yes.
1: And also that also that, that, that exercise is like incredibly human, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, Mm -hmm. that like, I'm thinking specifically of when we see this, like, you know, beautiful cosmic event, we see a flash of it, but what we focus on is Jody Foster's face. Mm-hmm. Not like not the perception of the thing itself, right. but like yeah. that we get to see her seeing it and that's what's more important. And that's not necessarily and saying we experience
3: that, like, it through her. We, we kind experience of experience it through, it through her. her reaction. Yeah.
1: yeah. Exactly. Right. And like not it's 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 what you're saying. It's like the the sort of taking away of the screens and the mediation and focusing on like experience mm-hmm. rather than you know, I guess this brings us to the end of the movie because that's what the whole thing's about. Totally,
2: But but this is a a good point to to continue on, which is that throughout that entire sequence as she's traveling through the wormholes, she is trying to continue recording, which we'll talk about in a minute, but then she's also narrating. She's trying to give a first-hand account of what she's experiencing, Mm -hmm. and it's only after all of that is shed in a moment where she finally experiences something that is like, beyond her capacity that she says you know the thing that i think is like the most fundamental part of that experience which is no words
3: yeah they should you have know, sent like, a poet no right words. they should have sent a poet mm-hmm. right like oh dude
2: like like all of a sudden she's like it's just poetry like i can't actually describe it and then of course we find out too that she, w- she didn't record any of this right it's just static for 18 hours and that too again you know like the the complete relief of any sort of form of mediation of this experience like it it works to the advantage of the people who are more cynical and trying to like inspire doubt but it is a thing that it uh, feels kind of like in in line with and synonymous with all the other experiences that zemeckis is trying to like call up to the surface
3: mm-hmm. you know what that scene is really relevant too you got me thinking about too where because of the interference because she's all traveling light years from earth um uh none of it is recorded right Um, And it gets me thinking about, like, you know, uh, today, because everyone has, like, a video recorder in their pocket, a camera in their pocket, it's like you go to a show, you go to an event, Mm -hmm. you know, and instead of, like, fucking watching and looking and experiencing the event, you know, people are holding up their phones to kind of record it, you know, and it's like, you know, obviously, like, this is me uh, uh, saying this, like, in, you know, uh, 2022, when, you know, we have, everyone has a, a camera in their phone, but Kind of the fact that like Jodie Foster saw something so beautiful, you know, that not only did she not have words for it, but it couldn't even be captured. Right. On like film, you know, Mm -hmm. and kind of being in the moment and getting subsumed into that childlike wonder, you know, it made really I mean, I'm saying this now because maybe think about it, it really gives me an appreciation for like. Like I don't know, like turning off my fucking phone. Like maybe kind of going into dialectics, like going the Mac- yeah. Matthew McConaughey way. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like dialectics, man. Like Jodie Foster, I could appreciate the beauty of the galaxy for what it is. We Matthew yep. McConaughey, you're right. We need to fucking turn off our phones and throw them shits out. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. yes.
1: <laughs> you're absolutely right. That and and I don't think that like Zemeckis was necessarily like, or even Sagan were were necessarily like, you know, predicting what what we experience how hypermediated our experience is Mm -hmm. but there was this proliferation of technology in the 90s that that both these people were responding to i think zemeckis as a Mm -hmm. as a creative and also sagan as a philosopher and and you know part theologian part whatever you want to call him Mm -hmm. um but i think like and when i say theologian i mean that sort of like i understand
2: (laughs) yeah
1: with a wink and a smile um but like that that they they did understand that it was disconnecting and and mm. that's like what what you're making me realize too is yeah. that like without necessarily predicting the specific technologies understanding like there is a way that we can use technology to help us explore and experience things but we also have to abandon a sort of a, a, a certain amount of it and remember experience yes. and that's what lands us at the end of this movie where the fact that She only has her experience as finger quotes proof, which the movie talks Mm -hmm. about several times, Mm -hmm. is the thing that actually calls the entire thing into question. But the film is so vehemently asserting that experience is like the ultimate point of record.
3: Yeah. 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 No, it really is. And I mean, this is like also facilitated buy like you know a third of a trillion dollars investment into this highly technologically advanced thing that she gets sent through of which she has no proof yeah at all you know and i guess we should get to the end then because the end is like where uh where it hits me in the feels man where it hits Mm -hmm. us all in the feels i think because uh, uh she finally makes contact she finally does make contact after she's traveled through the wormhole And um, Aaron, you want to go ahead and you give great kind of descriptions and synopsis. (laughs) You really, you really do. You've been really helping keep us like whatever we get, because we've been all over the place. And then Aaron will be like, "Okay, so let me explain. Let me me explain how the film actually became a film.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a producer by nature, guys. What can I say? But yeah, so so at the end here, she goes through the wormholes. She has this kind of like profound uh, experience that she has no words for. And she uh, sort of awakens in this sort of liminal space that looks like a memory that she has of, uh, a, a, like a, a beach scape that she in Pensacola, in, Florida, in Pensacola, Florida that she, mm-hmm. she drew when she was a child. Right. She mm-hmm. realizes that these aliens, that these extraterrestrial creatures have downloaded her memories and are presenting her with something familiar as to not like frighten her. And one of those things is that this alien, uh, reveals itself to her in the form of her father Mm. and it's like it's very profound and and very very moving and like alan silvestri's score like is just like cranked up to 11 and like pulling at your heartstrings and we've 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 mentioned most of what's said but you know the the kind of overarching theme of all of it is one that You know, this experience is just the first step in a in like a a, a, any number of experiences Mm -hmm. that you'll have moving forward, right? He says, kind of small moves, which is a thing that her father said to her a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that you know, like this was just like a a first step. That there's so much more to Mm -hmm. come, and you're not ready yet, Mm -hmm. but you'll get there. And this Mm -hmm. promise, right? This like kind of hopefulness that like, oh yeah, like we think of this as sort of like the the sort of apex of our understanding and really it's just like it's it's a uh a square one
3: we were talking about it earlier about like why this film like Aaron, you were asking like why this film like i was so interested in it. and it's like i think because of the bleakness of the time that we're going through now and why star trek is appealing to me too is because like yo, know, there's got to be another way right like there's no fucking way that like we're gonna like languish on this fucking rock in space like oppressing ourselves forever right like I refuse to believe that shit mm-hmm. the same way I guess that Ellie refuses to believe that like we are alone, you know? And as right. the alien says, right. The only thing that like, like makes us feel like, you know, any better. And you could say this, not just about like the galaxy or whether there's life, but like right now, the world that we live in during a time of like a pandemic and we have a fucking war going on and mm-hmm. people are poor and people are still being shot by the police. I mean, all of it is like, well, the only thing that we have is each other. Right. Yes. You yep. know, and the way the film like captures that at the end, man, it's just like, ah, uh, it's just, it's just something that like I was not expecting on like this uh, recent rewatch, especially given my politics, you know?
2: Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. It's, it's God. a really beautifully poetic moment, you know? And I think that the reason it resonates so much with me now, as opposed to before, you know, I kind of mentioned, you know, there was a lot of cynicism I held, even as I was like mm-hmm. engaging with like Carl Sagan's words and being humbled mm-hmm. by them and like finding out about like, what the universe is versus like what my perception of it had always been and coming out of sort of like a religious sort of, uh, you know, kind of like narrowness of thinking, but I was still very cynical, right? I was still like mm-hmm. the universe is indifferent. The universe doesn't care. Like all of mm-hmm. this stuff, like, like we make our own meaning, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I already mentioned, you know, at the, the top of the show, like I have moved beyond that into, I think a place where I've, I've kind of, made peace with a sense of spirituality. Right. And I think that it's fundamental actually to like our politics uh, that we all share. I think it's fundamental to like our understanding of things and the way that they like articulate it is so perfect. Right. That it's like, to me, this idea of something beyond myself, to me, this idea that like Ellie comes across and realizes is that like even if the universe may be indifferent to like my particular desires, my own proclivities, like my my mm-hmm. wants, you know, as I as I perceive them, the universe fundamentally favors order, right? The universe like naturally has like a kind of insistence of harmony amongst itself, yeah. like w- and all life forms and all things contained within it because we're all descended from the same things.
3: Exactly. Yes. yes. And
2: so I think it's so like fundamental. I think it's so necessary to like, you know, a, a perspective at large, but also to like a political project to have kind of like that understanding that like the thing that we're striving for, that harmony, that peace, that kind of like centrality of like, you know, things working and being taken care of, that that thing isn't just like wishful thinking it's not just pie in the sky it's not like something we have to manhandle it's like it's actually the nature of things and that what we're trying to do is like understand it more fundamentally and i I, that's what to me this movie evokes like now you know given the the shape of my politics the shape of my understanding Mm -hmm. and i was just like so blown away how much was contained in that little like five minute scene
3: yeah And, and especially too you know when when he she asked him uh this alien he's she says who built it you know like who built the machine who built who came up the instructions mm-hmm. and they're like we don't know right yeah. and i love that because like sort of like when whenever i get like really 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 down you know upset like it's it's and i talk about this in the piece that i wrote on nostalgia you know i talk about radical nostalgia a little bit you know mm-hmm. and kind of like this sort of harkening back to like traditions right that have like you know uh that have kind of uh given people not just hope but like the actual kind of means right like, through practice and through study, right, to, like, resist. And, you know, in this movie, this is just this 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 kind of this machine and this this device is just a way for uh, other species to, to kind of meet each other, but it still is based on, like, that we're not alone and that we kind of, like, there is, like, a sort of succession. There's order to it, right? There's, like, a cumulative kind of aspect to it, you know, where we're all sort of learning from each other and evolving, you know? And this is only the first step. And I mean, that was like incredibly optimistic. Like, I mean, in the wake of, um, you know, the protests in the streets two summers ago, um, a lot of the unionization efforts that we've seen, um, you know, during COVID. And then, you know, also the bleakness of like, well, I mean, we have like a guy in the White House who said, I'm going to give the police more money. You know, Mm -hmm. we have a mayor of New York City who is literally a fucking former cop, you know what I mean? And. With all these like drawbacks, it really does seem like it's hard to see like that. This is something that takes time, right? That it's something that like we kind of all like add to, and the way that and and this movie and again, this scene we're talking about is nothing about radical politics. It's nothing about how grim and bleak the world is. But like as you're saying, Aaron, what I took from it, and I think what you can take from it is that like the only the only the only thing that we have is each other, right? Like, the only way out is through together. Like, that's something that I always say. I probably got it from somewhere. But the only way out is through together. I mean, there's no other way that even even when you think about physics, right, and how matter is consistent and how, you know, gravity lent a hand and, like, planets being formed, man. None of that would have happened without some sense of order that I could translate, hopefully, into, like, a collective sort of politics, you know. Mm -hmm. Or ethos, man, that Sagan truly, I think, like, kind of prized and cherished, you know.
1: Yes, Absolutely. the the message of the film, whether it's meaning to be radical or not, is in its nature radical because it is against the thing that creates myopia and and mm. ego and individualism, alienation, and alienation, and, that, yeah. and, mm-hmm. alienation. and yeah. we all know that that is the what other kills- alienation. Yes, the other kind. The, the <laughs> not alien, cool alien. kind, the not yeah. like benevolent kind.
2: One word, not alien right. <laughs> nation. Right. <laughs> nation. Yeah.
1: I would take not the alien vegans. nation. Like yeah, yeah. the vegans seem rad. Um yeah. but like that 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 message, even if it's not political, ends up being political because mm-hmm. of the meaning we can extrapolate from that into our material worlds. Like any mm-hmm. sort of belief in something outside of yourself. Is what gets you to put a mask on, is what like it's all these things, right? There the, it is, it is not only um part of a of a collective political project that allows us to survive as a society, but it's part of like our our survival as a species that like we yes. literally cannot survive long term, like through through history, if yeah. we do not move towards this perspective of understanding that the the true sort of value and richness and thing that is priority is the the thing that's bigger than you the collective the the connection yes. you have with other people
3: i will say that like you know carl sagan too um i don't know if he explicitly identified as a socialist but there is this uh, people should look it up there's this interview um that he did where he's kind of asked about like whether or not he's a socialist and mm-hmm. i mean he's a socialist man whether he calls himself <laughs> one or not Like, and this is during the Cold War. So, of course, like, you know, terminology and whatnot, but he's totally a comrade. Also, Albert Albert Einstein was a total comrade, too. It's almost like having an understanding of, like, the hard sciences, right? Like, I mean, it lends itself to sort of understanding political economy, at least in a Marxist sense, you know, because you understand that there's. There's, you know, there's action and then there's reaction, right? There has to be kind of a yin and a yang. There have to be dialectics, right? Yes. I mean, this is what, like, creates, like, progress. Like, literal progress. Like, the actual, like, constitution of matter, right? By opposing, like, you know, subatomic particles and shit like that, you know? And, like, I don't know, man. For all of that to be encapsulated, like, like for me to see all that shit, maybe, in the 10 minutes that she's talking to, like, the likeness of her dead daddy, I mean, Zemeckis, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it was just beautiful, man. And also the the visual effects, guys, because mm-hmm. there's this cool thing where she's uh, reaching to touch the sky because it looks like some sort of other yeah. gas. Yeah. And it looks, almost looks like she's, like, kind of putting her hand through some gelatinous sort of substance. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. like, kind of reacting to her finger and making music. Like, it's kind of yes. making a trill noise to it. Yep. Yeah. It was really trippy, man.
2: It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And, like, the the effects artists, too, I, I was reading have the waves moving backwards rather than forwards oh, towards the shore. I didn't yeah. notice that. And then another thing that they do, there's the uh the palm trees and the shadows are waving faster than the trees are moving. <gasps> so there's like Yo, this kind of like disorienting so kind of quality to it as well. Where like that's so trippy. It's otherworldly in a lot of different senses, even though it's kind of familiar, you know?
3: It's, I love that. Yeah. So we gotta talk about the end, right? The very, very end. Uh, because uh because this this is the part where um I I kind of had some vindication, right? Because so Jodie Foster, uh, she's at this hearing because the IPv uh, the the sphere that she was in when it dropped through the machine, what they saw from not only the cameras but everybody that was observing is that they saw it fall straight through and straight into the mm-hmm. net and straight into the water, right into the ocean, right. So she's at this hearing because people are incredibly upset. Not only have have they spent um, I mean obscene amounts of money. But people have died, right, Uh, given the first terrorist attack that demolished the first machine, right? And um, uh, James Wood's character, this national security guy, he is trying to get her to say that it was all hallucination, that it didn't happen, right? Um, And she says that it might have been hallucination. Everything that she knows as a scientist tells her that it may very well have been. But as a human being, um, she knows that it was real, right? And so we find out, right? Yes, uh her, her 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 recorder recorded static, right? Didn't record any of her experience, right? Um and James Wood's character is very aware of this. And we see that Angela Bassett is talking to him in the president's, I guess in the oval office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's the president's assistant she's talking to James Wood um, um um by video and she says, "You know, I find it really interesting um you know, that not only did it record video, but it recorded, um not only, only did it record static, sorry, but it recorded 18 hours of static. Yeah. So James Wood's character says, yeah, I find that interesting indeed. And that's fucking it, right? Yeah. Jodie Foster has to, in the same way that um, Matthew McConaughey has been talking to her about faith, right? About um, using the example of her father or whether or not she still, um, she loves him. And this is kind of, His And he also talks about a spiritual experience that he had, right? I think a near-death experience, maybe, that he had. And Mm -hmm. he talks about, like, this is my faith. She now has to convince, like, the entire world. Like, we're not talking about believing in God, which 95% of the population believes in this dude in the sky, right? Or conception of that. We're talking about experiencing something that, as she says, she wished she could share with all of humanity to make us understand our place, our role, like, in the universe, right? And I mean, like... The sort of cynicism, like, I felt like, okay, like, okay, Zemeckis is definitely saying, okay, it did happen, but then the cynicism of, like, the world that we live in that no one else will ever know, that was kind of heartbreaking. That Mm -hmm. was kind of heartbreaking, man, because she had this whole amazing experience, and like, this motherfucker knows it, but for his own cynical purposes, and because it's possibly too, too complex to even explain to people, right, they're not even willing to try.
1: Yes. But I think that cynicism is meant to to break our hearts f- for a reason. Like, I think mm. Zemeckis wants to end on that note because he wants to say, like, this like this doesn't feel good, right? Like, mm-hmm. this isn't – it doesn't have to be this way. And I'm not necessarily arguing that Zemeckis is saying, like, oh, we got to hold hands across America and whatever. Yeah, and
3: sing kumbaya. And and yeah. Sing
1: kumbaya. <laughs> like, I don't think he's saying that. But I do think that, like – that, that disappointment and that like ugliness that we see, he puts a point on that for a reason. He, he wants to call it out. He wants us to feel upset by it. He wants us to feel almost what she's feeling. Right. And, and he counters it with Matthew McConaughey's character saying, I believe her
3: did did exactly what she could not do and refused to do the whole entire movie right Mm -hmm. like he's like it was so easy for her to be like okay i'm not gonna challenge what you believe in right i'm not gonna like but i mean again i i mean i wouldn't have liked it if she had lied during the hearing right Right. so the fact that she's honest about it i mean i think that's what makes her such a great character and such a curious character but matthew mcconaughey when he's asked, like, you know, when he's when they're leaving the hearing and he's asked by reporters, and, yeah, as you said, Carl, he says, like, I believe her. Like, like it was like a consolation prize, you know? It yes. was a little bit like, okay, like, I mean, yeah, she's not going to embark on this completely, like, paradigm-shifting thing where, you know, she's able to convince people that this thing happened, but the most important thing maybe is that, like, the, the person who at this point means the most to her in her life believes her. And maybe that's more than enough, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe Maybe that's more than enough.
1: Maybe that that he's capable of it, too, is the reminder that there are 95 percent of people that believe in a thing that they can't necessarily feel and touch. And so maybe it's also a reminder that, like, it is possible that other people believe her. It's possible that, like, he's not the only one that thinks that she's telling the truth because there are other people like him. That's how I took that. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is hopeful that Matthew McConaughey is saying, I believe you is like a consolation prize. And it's also like that little glimmer of hope where I'm like, there are other people that feel like him.
2: Yeah. We see like a handful of them in the crowd outside of the hearing, you know, these people who are like, you have like, you've changed us, right? Like we, we believe you we know that what you say is true and i think it's i think it's still important though that at the end we don't see mcconaughey in like the the last scene it's just, yeah. her, it's just her, like with the kids right st-
3: st- yeah and She's stargazing yeah star, yeah and star, yeah with the kids and stargazing at the end
2: yep and i think it's like you know that kind of the prevailing message of everything which is that like you know she says like it doesn't matter like what answers you have or like, you know, like it, all that's important is that you stay curious about this thing, mm-hmm. right? Like that you search mm-hmm. for your own answers. And I think that there's like that important thread at the end, which is like. A thing that that Sagan w- was uh, very good at articulating during his time, too, which is like how insignificant, like our petty squabbles and our politics and all of these yeah, other that's... things are the pale, in the, the pale blue dot, the pale blue dot. Exactly. And in, yeah. in this sort of like grandeur, right, there's like this. You know, this frustration that's like, oh, this guy is like withholding, you know, this exonerating evidence that is like this thing definitively happened, but it's only momentary. And that, like, if we encourage that curiosity and that sense of wonder in like a new generation, in a younger group of people, in like scientific minds and continue to cultivate that and to like give that, you know, to, to sort of like water that idea, things will come from it. Like, it will. Eventually lead to us making those next steps, right? Like we can't, yeah. we you, whatever you try to do to contain it, we can't go backward at this point. Like we are going to continue to to strive for more understanding, and I think it's a really, really pitch perfect, beautiful note to end on.
3: Yeah, and I think too, like where where it um, where it where it ends, the very, very end is a uh, kind of like the shot of the uh, I guess in uh, I guess in like uh, New Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. I guess it's the, the Southwest. It's a shot of like mm-hmm. the sky. You know, and it's just like this expansive, like, you know, a canvas of stars. And uh, it says for Carl. You know, it's de- dedicated yeah. to Carl Sagan, man. Mm-hmm. And that made me cry, too. Like seeing yep. that kind of oh, like, yeah. you know, and it's just I mean, like, I don't I mean, I don't know what else to really say about this movie. Besides, like you, we were talking about it earlier, Aaron, where we were saying, like, how Carl Sagan would feel right. Um, mm-hmm. Given the 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 state of um um you know uh uh, space travel or the state of kind of technology and science and its role in american society and like you know it's it's really depressing man it's really depressing to think i was thinking the other day that like you know i think in 1969 was it that like we went to the fucking moon right and everything that has happened since then right like the fact that like we're able to do this technologically right since then like like motherfuckers went to the moon in someone's lifetime, in people's lifetimes, and I can't imagine if we'll ever do that again. Mm-hmm. And we're living in the year twenty twenty two, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like that's incredibly depressing. And I, like, I wish that, like, you know, I wish whether it's contact or whether it's cosmos, right? Like, um, not the Neil deGrasse Tyson one. I'm talking about the Carl yeah. Sagan one. Um, <laughs> I wish that, <laughs> I wish that things like this, like existed because this was a time when like there was actual like investment public investment mm-hmm. in like space you know yes like and not i mean well yeah it was for the cold war so we can fucking send missiles like halfway across the world to the soviet union but but it was also about kind of like the, this pushing of boundaries you know and like what is possible and i mean as jody foster said you know asked or wanted to ask the aliens like how did you do it? How were you able to do this? We're not going to be able to do it if like, we stick with the sort of political economy that we have now, right? And I think Carl Sagan would have uh, been mortified right, by somebody yes. like a Jeff Bezos or like a Elon Musk, you know? Mm-hmm. would have been horrified by these people, man.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. They,
3: they bastardize his vision, you know, essentially is what they do. Yes. Elon likes to think of himself as a Sagan. I'm sure he does. Yeah. But he's not. No. He's more like a fucking Lex Luthor, you know what
2: Absolutely. I'm saying? Oh, he's not even
1: as
3: cool as Lex Luthor, actually. <laughs> at least Lex is fucking cool because yeah. the shit works when he builds it you know what I'm saying <laughs> I'm like, so what the there's
2: there's like a there's an broken. infuriating video of Elon reading the pale blue dot speech and when <gasps> no. and when why'd you when, tell me that bro I know I'm don't sorry don't tell me that and, <laughs> and, and, and when he, and when he reads the part where Sagan says like Earth is where we make our stand there is nowhere in our lifetimes that we conceivably like run to he stops and says well that's not true we could go to Mars and it's just like fuck <laughs> off my dude like <laughs> bruh,
3: bruh. i mean you just made me think about it too like i know his twitter his twitter header he has like a um, terraforming like how we terraform mars so i know that him and people like be- bezos because bezos apparently was obsessed in college with uh space colonization or yeah. essentially turning earth what he thought what he wanted to happen or thought would happen is that earth would be this kind of um preserve like almost like a zoo almost. yeah, and we would live in space hotels like orbiting it. And I mean, like, yo, when when you're just juxtaposing a film like contact where even if you have like the neoliberal conceits, even if you have like the kind of cynical ploy um and nationalistic, too, because there are elements of kind of nationalism, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely the America the Americans, like uh, I think, Um, They nominate like a third of the people or over a third of the people to go are Americans. You know what I'm saying? And yes, the film deals with all of that. But essentially, it's also like, yo, could you imagine like now, like in real life, if the first test got sabotaged? And there's billionaire decided to build a shit like in Japan and have the Japanese build it. Can you imagine we would start like a world war over that, yo? We yeah. like we would drone that would. shit. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't even <laughs> the film like the film is so optimistic and not only it's like kind of like uh it's 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 portrayal of like space travel and like you know the fact that there's life in uh, in the universe, other life, but the fact that we would actually work together and collaborate to like build this machine. Like, nah, dude, the United States would never let that
1: happen. For sure. We well, never the, let that happen. The thing yeah. that is fundamentally opposed to the worldview that this film is espousing is the thing that makes these people billionaires. Like in yeah. real life, right? Yeah. Like yeah. like yeah. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos are billionaires precisely because they do not care about other people. Precisely because they do not think about the bigger project, the thing that's bigger than them, mm-hmm. the thing that Connects us all. You can't be a billionaire if you believe the thing that this movie believes. You just can't. Exactly. those yep. things are exactly. fundamentally opposed to one another. So they can exactly. ad- ad- posture a uh, uh, sort of like explorer mindset, but it's the same imperial, corrosive, yep. capitalist shit that they do on Earth. They're just putting it in a new spot in the universe. Like there's there's it, nothing different about their about their perspective. One
3: hundred percent. To round it out, if I could round it out, I think, like, you know, uh, what this film really kind of like pushes and expresses is that, like, we talked about so many other things, but like, it really is that, like, I think, like, you, there's more, right? There's more, like, to us here living on this planet, but there's more to, like, our, like, religious conflicts. There's more to us than our, like, cultural conflicts. And I think, like, like, a lot of that conflict is derived. It comes from the fact that like, we're all searching for a sense of meaning Mm -hmm. and this meaning is embodied in certain political systems, certain social systems, you know, but this film, like, I mean, really kind of like kind of pushes that, well, you just got to take a leap of faith, I guess. Right. Yeah. That like, you know, we'll derive meaning out of like the chaos and the darkness. And I mean, like that's opposed to all the bullshit that these billionaire would be benefactors want us to think, you know, so, yeah, man, I love this movie, dude. I fucking love this movie so it's, much.
2: It's it's a fantastic film and it's like especially now as we're all saying, you know, it's such like a salve to see something that has an optimistic kind of viewpoint uh, about the capacity of humanity, you know, and 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 our mm-hmm. connectedness, our opportunity to like think beyond and move beyond all of this bullshit and pretense. And uh yeah, I mean there's just There's so many layers there to it, and I am so thankful that we had our good friend Aaron Thorpe here today to help us to unpack it. Aaron, thank you again so much for being here.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I feel like um, I like uh, for anyone listening, um, I rambled a lot, but I hope that you guys can glean anything out of that because I enjoy the conversation. Um, I've never got a chance to talk about this movie, and uh, I would rather not talk about it with anyone but you guys because the Matrix episode, which if you haven't listened to, you guys should go back and listen to that one, too. Um, but uh, this was like one of the best again I feel like I said that the first time this is one of the best like podcast appearances and conversations that I've had um, since I've been doing this thing uh, especially with you guys in my favorite movie so thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to ramble for two hours about a uh, about Carl Sagan and aliens and
1: we <laughs> love you dude you have an open open speed open seat anytime on this show that you want because uh, oh. everything you drop is is a gem and I like the the thought of talking about this film period excited me but then like when i knew that you were wanting to talk about it i was like oh this is going to be so good and like also i'm fully going to break down and cry yeah. it's going to be an yeah. emotional experience yeah. it's going to be a spiritual well, actually, experience
3: you know what i i you know what talking about it with you guys made me less sad because like we had so many things to say about it that were like beautiful about the film that the things that are beautiful but also sad were kind of like overshadowed by just like Again, the themes that we're talking about, like, you know, kind of like, like, it's almost like uh, 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 you guys kind of helped me see this film in an even more positive light than I already did, Mm -hmm. especially after like crying for like two hours, you know, Yes. (laughs) and then hopping on with you guys. So So thank you again so much. y'all.
2: Likewise, my friend. It's always, always a pleasure to have you. Uh, Where can where can people find you and, and the things that you do, Aaron?
3: Uh, so people can check out uh, the Trillbillies. Um, I'm on that podcast, Trillbilly Workers Party. They can also check out Struggle Session. Um, I'm uh, sometimes uh, comics correspondent. Uh, so if uh, if people couldn't already tell, like I'm kind of a nerd. So like I love comic books. <laughs> I fucking do. I do. I love comic book movies. I mean, I love them, hate them. So people can check <laughs> out those two podcasts, and uh, people can also check out my Substack, which is called Space and Light. That's on my Twitter bio. Which. I've been banned from Twitter as we were talking about the top of the show like five times now. Um, and <laughs> I have an account with a name that uh, actually makes me laugh every time I say it. My my, my Twitter handle now is Henry Kiss and Word. Like Kiss and Word. Like Henry Kiss and Word. So, uh, I don't damn, I didn't think about how awkward I was going to feel. I didn't think about how awkward I was going to feel saying that every no, I time I had to plug my shit to people. Um, that's and maybe why it's good. if I, yeah, that's why I was getting, maybe if I like, no, if I get like published, published and I start doing, like grown-up big boy shit. I'm not gonna change it. I'm gonna leave it. But um yeah, all all that shit all that shit will be in the show notes and people can check that out. And um, thank you again so much, y'all. I really appreciate this conversation. Such a pleasure, man.
1: Thank you. We
2: are always oh, yeah. so thankful to have you. Um if you're listening to this, thank you all so very much for being a patron of the show. Tell your friends, patreon.com slash pod if you need the reminder. Follow us at hitfactorypod. Shout out to our capitalist overlords. Uh, their names are Linda and Jesse K. And I'm going to do something unorthodox at the end of the show. But because we're talking about Carl Sagan and I could never uh, skip on an opportunity to play for everyone and play for myself, Carl Sagan's pale blue dot speech, which we've already mentioned on the show, uh, I'm going to do it. And that's going to play us out today. So until next time, dear listener, small moves.
0: From this distant vantage point, the earth might not seem of any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another, and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known.